In Ag and Review for the week ending September 13th, we start off with this perspective from a grower on the weather this summer. It has been a wet season for many of our farmers, especially for those in the panhandle. As James Marshall of Baker, Florida, says the weather has really affected the quality of his cotton crop. Well, we're right there in northwest Florida at the tip of the panhandle, and we got a mixed bag. we got some good cotton, and we got some cotton that's had 40 inches of rain on it since July the 1st. And... Yeah, it's not going to be like it was last year. We're going to we're going to probably be looking at two thirds of a crop of what we've been been gathering. You know, peanut crop looks fairly good, but cotton crop suffered more than anything. Which is why James is hoping for some more sunny days and a late fall. We'd replant some cotton because of deer damage and stuff like that, and it's not it's not made completely yet. So we need we need some good weather to finish out the month of September with to, to really make that crop. For more on how this season's wacky weather has affected our farmers here in the southeast, log on to our website at southeastagnet.com. And now we check in with Randall Wiseman with this update on MCOOL. Back in July, a lawsuit was filed by eight organizations representing both the U.S. and Canada meat and livestock industries to block the mandatory country of origin labeling rule finalized by USDA in May. But today, a U.S. District Court judge rejected that plea. Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall, said NCBA is disappointed with the ruling. But we have to remind everybody that this was just one of many steps that we are looking to try to find relief from country of origin labeling. Because even though the decision was made uh, by the judge on this uh, injunctive relief request, the fact remains that this is still a government-run program that is not providing any benefit to the consumer or to producers and is harming our relationship with two of our biggest international markets, and that is uh, Canada and Mexico. So we are going to uh, look at all the options that we have, not only moving forward with this case, because because that is still an option, but also continue to look at the farm bill as a way to uh, get this fixed. Woodall said NCBA will continue to support and pursue industry-led voluntary labeling alternatives to ensure cattlemen and women are not strapped with additional costs for a program that offers no benefit to consumers or producers. OMB itself even gauged this as being a significant rule by saying it had at least an impact of $100 million on, uh, on our industry. The retailers and the packers have been telling us for quite some time that it would require quite a bit of investment in new equipment and new labels and all the record keeping that goes along with this. So we do expect the costs to start to uh, trickle down and those costs are typically always passed back to the producer. Uh, very rarely does the consumer bear the burden or most of the burden. So we know this is going to cost us. Full implementation of the MCU rule starts on November 23rd. And now for a quick update for our sugar growers. The announcement that sugar processors forfeited an estimated 85,000 tons of sugar valued at $34.6 million to USDA has caused the Coalition for Sugar Reform to restate their call for Congress to reevaluate current U.S. sugar policy, saying that it is not in America's economic interest. However, the American Sugar Alliance points to the wave of unneeded subsidized Mexican sugar that has sent U.S. prices plummeting since 2010. ASA calls it unfortunate for America's farmers and taxpayers that the U.S. has become a dumping ground for subsidized Mexican sugar. But even with the forfeiture, the American Sugar Alliance says U.S. sugar policy is still the cheapest major commodity policy by far. As from 2002 to 2012, the program ran without taxpayer costs and has consistently come in well below Congressional Budget Office cost estimates. According to the alliance, the only way to avoid continued problems is to curb subsidies from Mexico, Brazil, and other major exporters. And we will wrap up for this week with this report from Everett Greiner. From the early 1920s to the late 80s, tobacco was the money crop for southeastern farmers. From Virginia to Florida, farms had their allotted acreage, 
That included practically all farms. Canadian farmers also grew a lot of tobacco. And crop lost its status when its true dangers were exposed. But it did not vanish, as most people assume. USDA reported almost 325,000 acres of tobacco planted this year. And it isn't just Atlantic coast states. It's grown in Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio. Always was. Although demand has dwindled, uh, there's still a market for tobacco. Oriental tobacco was used in the making of many U.S. products. Tobacco is still in demand in that part of the world. So, export sales of American tobacco is still strong. Obviously, farmers are trying to fill that demand. And smoking hasn't died here at home. And remember, you can find these stories along with all the week's Southeast Agnet reports on our website at southeastagnet.com. I'm Julie McPeak with Southeast Agnet's podcast.